Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. I am your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us today. This edition of the Intentional Encourager podcast was so good with Jason Romano that we had to break it up into two parts. We ended the first part where Jason talks about his time on Mike and Mike and the relationships that Mike and Mike had with their staff. Now we go into part two where Jason leaves ESPN and goes into a ministry that God calls him to. I think you'll find the conversation really fascinating as I did when Jason talks about the transition from leaving his dream job at ESPN to going to Sports Spectrum where God was calling him to. Let's pick up that conversation now. My guest, Jason Romano, and part two of our conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. God was pulling on your heart to leave ESPN in 2017. And, and you talk about in your book, Live to Forgive. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the, in the few minutes we have remaining as well. Was that hard for you to leave your dream job? What were some of your internal struggles in leaving a job that you could have seen yourself working the rest of your life and being very happy doing so, but you felt God pulling you away to do something else? What type of internal struggles were you having trying to, to be pleasing to the, to the will of the Lord as a Christian, but wanting to stay in your will as somebody that loved his job and what he was doing at ESPN? Well, the hardest part wasn't, wasn't knowing that God was in this. The hardest part was, was fully trusting in him and, and getting out of comfort. When you're at a place for 17 years, that's a long time to be working somewhere. It is. And, you, and you're not upset with your job. Like I said, that last year with Mike and Mike was probably my best year, my favorite year at ESPN. I, got, I did more traveling than I ever did. I made, I made, just to be honest, I made more money than I ever did. And I loved going to work every day. So that's my battle, right? Like, do I want to leave something that feels in, 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 uh, and is a good situation, very comfortable situation, a lot of great things come with it. Do I want to do that for the unknown? Mm -hmm. And listen, when I left, I had a job to leave to with Sports Spectrum, but it was 40% pay cut. There were no benefits. And it was a job that I was working remotely. So I went to an office with 4,000 people every day. Now I wake up and go into my spare bedroom and there's nobody but me. So mm. there's a lot of change happening. Hey, you were social distancing before it was cool to social distance. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, my friend. Thankfully, I could travel a lot and go see people. I can't do that right now currently. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, uh, I was social distancing, but the, the internal struggle was are you, are you truly God going to provide here if I trust you? And that's, you know, we talk as Christians a lot of time, like, yes, if you, if you trust in God, he will make a way. He is the way maker, the miracle worker. He will, he's a promise keeper. He will, he will deliver and get you, supply you all your riches and needs according to his purpose. Like he says that we say that, but when you actually have to do that, man, that's where the struggle lies. Yeah. And I, my struggle was, God, I'm going to do this because I really think it's for you. But are you going to be true to your word here? Because 40% yeah. pay cut and leaving all this, this stuff that I have with ESPN, like is, 
is this really going to be the case? And so the internal struggle was, was, and even talking to my wife about this was, I kept telling her, God will make a way. I promise you this. If it's not from God, then I'll, I'll step right out of what I was doing and go right back to ESPN or go somewhere else. I promise you that. But I think, I really believe this is the Lord speaking and opening up this door. Thankfully, I can tell you now, looking back three years later, that it was clearly God's will, God's plan. And he's, like I said earlier, he's opened up doors and given me more opportunities to do things that I never could have, this is all honesty, never could have dreamed of and did not dream of. So God clearly was in, in the midst of all of this, in this decision. And thankfully, he has provided it and made a way and, and done what he says he, he would do when we uh, walk out in obedience to him. But that's the internal struggle. And I think that's everybody's struggle, really. If you're a Christian um, and you're making a change or you're trying to discern the voice of God and making that decision on whatever that means, uh, you have to kind of step out onto the, onto the unknown ground and just put a faith and trust. That's what true faith is. And say, all right, God, I'm yours. This is yours. Take it. Do, it, do whatever you want with it. And it's interesting because as I was leaving ESPN, I had already began formulating the book, Live to Forgive. So I knew that that was sort of the, the beginning ground of me going out into different areas that I wasn't planning on going to in terms of writing and, and putting a book out. And I knew when I had my book come out, you know, I had already left ESPN when it came out, that that was a door that was going to open up something. I didn't know yeah. what, even if it was one person reading it, I didn't know what, but that was the sort of beginning steps, even while I was still at ESPN, to trying to obey God and do what he called me to do. And then Sports Spectrum came along, and that was the, for me, the, the clear call from the Lord to go do his work. You mentioned your book, Live to Forgive, and it's an unbelievable story that you have. And I want to transition here in the, in the few minutes that we have left with each other to talk about Live to Forgive. And you mentioned trusting God. But you also talk about in the book through the, some of the struggles that you had with your father. Um, your father was an alcoholic. You, you came from a broken home. I have to think that trust was something that you had to develop over time to, to, to learn to do because there were so many unknown variables in your life that would cause you to mistrust. Talk about a little bit growing up in the home that you did with the father. Your, your relationship with your dad was, was real strained for a long time. Yeah, the, the same dad that I think is the responsible, the the one responsible for my love of sports, is the same dad that's probably responsible for many years of bitterness and anger, and um, and hatred. To be quite honest, you know, with a with a very confusing, as I like to say, relationship. You know, my dad is a real good person who who has a a zest for life and is very much a kid at heart, even at almost seventy years old today. But alcohol got the best of him, and, and it was a really bad situation for many, many years, broken marriages, um, you know, separation from kids, things like that. And then, you know, depression kicked in later in his life in his early 60s, and it was a bad recipe for disaster for many, many years, which caused uh, this roller coaster ride that I lived with my dad for many years to, to just continue to happen. You know, imagine... You know, you know, when you go on a roller coaster and you're on for three minutes, eventually it's going to stop and you're going to get off. 
Yep. We were, we were on a roller coaster for 40 years, me and my brothers. And so that's not a fun ride to go on for many, many years. At some point you want it to stop going up and down. You want to kind of level it yep. out a little bit. And it was very, very few moments in, uh, you know, the first 40 years of my life where we had a, a level playing field. It was an up and down roller coaster back and forth. My dad would be sober, then he'd be drunk and then he'd be angry and then he'd be happy. And then he'd be you know, upset and then he'd be furious and then he'd be okay. And it was like, oh, and you know, it was a separated relationship in the sense of I lived in Connecticut. He lived in New York, which is still the case, but he, for some reason, when he would drink, he would pick up the phone and call and he would say some really abusive things when somebody accused him of drinking or had an issue with it. And it just turned him into a, it was Jekyll and Hyde and he was, mm -hmm whatever the bad one is Jekyll, I think is the bad one. He was the bad one for, for uh, more often than not. And that's where really this book kind of stemmed from live to forgive was moving forward when those we love hurt us, which is the subtitle was really coming to a place for me who have been a believer for 10 years. There it is right there. I see it. There it is. Uh, for 10 years, that, that relationship with my dad, um, even as a Christian, I couldn't forgive him. You know, I had yeah. learned, and started to grow in understanding what forgiveness was about. I had seen uh, the cross and Jesus and redemption do a great work in my life and asking Jesus and asking God to forgive me of my, of my mess ups and sins every day. And yet I couldn't exude forgiveness back to my dad. And it wasn't until his lowest moment in 2013 that I finally was able to come to a place to forgive him. And then five years later, is when the book came out and the idea of the book was really something I never wanted to write. Uh, but I came to a place where I started sharing the story a little bit about five years ago and somebody heard me share the story and said, you ought to put that in a book and it can help a lot of people. And I said, yeah. I'm not writing a book. No way. It's not anything I ever wanted to do was write a book and had the opportunity come to me to write this book, partnered with my friend, Steve Copeland. And I went to my dad before we moved forward with it. And I said, there's this opportunity to write this book about forgiveness, dad, and you and I, and it's going to paint you as the villain for about 90% of the book. I said, and I want to be as honest and brutal as, and as truthful as I can. Are you okay with that? He said, Jace, if it can help one person, then you need to write it. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, you need to tell this story if you know it can help someone. And I said, okay. All right, let's go forward. You've with got this two thing. other brothers too. You've got a brother that's a pastor, and 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 yep. you know how, what was their reaction? Because obviously, not only were you telling your story, you were telling their story as well too. Yep, I, and I went. I went to my whole family. I went to well, I went to my wife, um, and she, my wife is great, but she was like, "Really, you're going to write a book?" I said, "Well, I don't know if I'm." going to My wife said the same thing. <laughs> And she didn't want anything in the book about her, which was yeah. understandable. And for the most part, she's not in there um, a little bit, you know, in terms of how my dad affected her and me. But the my mom, my two brothers, my dad, those were the four that if any of them had reservations about writing this, I wouldn't have moved forward with it because it's their life. Less about less for my mom, because, you know, my mom's a very. Uh, she's a wonderful person and she's the yeah. one that kept us together for so many years. And if she could have had her way, she would have been in about 50% of this book because of all that she went through. But I had to explain to her, this is not your story. This is mine. And I love you. 
I said, you'll be in the book, but you're, this isn't about you. This is about me and dad. Uh, and that was hard for her because she kept us afloat and, and, you know, is our rock and is my hero. When I think back to my kid and being a kid yeah. and just how much she, she was there for us and still is there for us. But she was all, she was all on board. My brothers were all on board. Uh, and then I went to my brothers and asked them for specific stories, not too many, but I said, I have my own memories. Do you guys have any? And they had one particular story, which I think was chapter two. Um, and it's literally the chapter is titled when my brothers wanted to kill my dad. And I remember that story. That's a very poignant part of the book too. And it hits you very early um, about the real tension and struggle that, that the three of you were facing with your dad. Yeah, this is chapter three. I said chapter two, chapter three, and it's the validity of anger. And I think the, the whole point there was to set the, set the stage for not only had my life been affected in this experiences, but there were moments that my brothers had with my dad that I did not have mm-hmm. that I needed to paint that picture if they were willing to tell it so that they saw how bad this was. This wasn't just my yeah. experience. This was our experience. And they told the story of the time when my brother, uh, Damien, I believe it was, wanted to truly kill my dad. He wanted to end his life because he was just fed up with everything my dad had done towards him. And this is, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago or whatever, but, uh, yeah, and they both said and told their story in in a very real and raw way, which is what we tried to do with the entire book. And so that's what it's about. And, you know, now it's been out for a couple of years, and I really have, have heard from many people, including yourself, about how this has helped them in their journey or yeah. has helped somebody that they know in their journey. And that's the whole point. I, I could tell you I wish we sold a million copies and we were a New York Times bestseller. We're not. But I don't care about that. I really right. simply cared – and, and do I not care about numbers? No, I care about numbers, of course. And, I, and I'm very much a numbers guy. But we wrote it for the one who needed help. And that's right. That's happened. And so that's, that's all we could have asked for. Well, and, and for somebody to go through what you went through, a lot of people, I, I can't relate to that because my mom and dad stayed married for 41 years. My dad was heavily involved in our church. Uh, my dad was there a lot of times. My dad was there for high school games, for little league games. I can't imagine going through that. Right. But we all go through something that has hurt us to the core in some way, shape, or form. You don't go through this life unscathed, Jason. The Lord never promised that we would go through life unscathed. And somebody somewhere has hurt us. What is the biggest thing that you can share with someone about forgiveness that was a v8 moment for you you know right we have the all have those v8 moments where where the answer just hits us in the head what was that moment for you like about forgiveness uh the moment for me was when i realized it was not about me it was not about me and you know it's funny i think of rick warren's book the purpose driven life the very first line in chapter one of the book, and it's sold millions and millions of copies. You want to talk about a book that's impacted yeah, people? Yeah. It says it's not about you. And for me, it was really the moment when my dad was at his lowest point when I realized this is not about my feelings or my anger or my bitterness. This is about, you know, God and what he's done for us. The person that we need to forgive or the person when we're forgiving someone else, it's about us being free from the bitterness. So in many ways, I guess it is about us, 
But the idea of forgiveness is not about us. It's about what God has done, sending his son, forgiving us, the greatest gift we could ever have. And then it's about, um, to me, it's a, it's a game changer. And this took me a long time to have, and I think I'm still developing it, but it was about having an empathetic spirit. Empathy is the big game changer in life. Yep. It really is. If we saw others the way that God sees them, it would change every single person's perspective on everything we have. Doesn't mean we can't have opinions. Doesn't mean we can't be angry. Doesn't mean we can't be upset. Doesn't mean we can't state those opinions. But if we had an empathetic spirit in everything that we did, it would be a game changer because you'd know it's coming from a place of love, not from a place of bitterness and anger. So when I saw my dad, as Jesus saw my dad, I realized it wasn't about me. It was about Jesus. And yeah. if, if Jesus saw dad the way that I do, he would look at him and say, you're nothing. You're worthless. You're nobody. You're a messed up person. But that's not who Jesus, what Jesus does. That's not what God, that's right. when God looks at all of us. He says, you're my child. You're valuable. Your, you, your worth is not found in what you do. It's found in, in our relationship. And suddenly that changed the game for me. And it was in a moment in hearing my dad broken at his worst moment when I said, that's, that's, that's it. It's like, it's like you, the V8 moment, you know, the, the, the light bulbs over the head, it's ding, 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 the doorbell rings. That's it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about me. It's about, uh, or it wasn't about, um, anything my dad had done to me. It was about being freed from the bitterness that I had and about having an empathetic spirit and seeing my dad, who he was, God's child. And what you're really saying is to, to a, a large degree, Jason, that the ground really is level at the cross. It's we all, we all come, we all come to the cross the same way. Yes. You know, we, we just have different pathways on how we get to the cross, but we get there and people are still coming to the cross because the cross is the ultimate place of forgiveness. It's the ultimate place where we trade our sins for his righteousness upon our lives. We trade what we've done wrong for what he did right at Calvary. And I, I commend you for that. I love what you said about empathy because I think in this day and age, Jason, with what we're facing in this country at the time that we're recording this, yeah. that we need empathy more than ever before because every one of us now in some way, shape or form are being affected by this COVID-19 situation. And, you know, you've been working from home for a while. I work at home on Fridays, but we're now working from home full time. Yeah. And so empathy is so important. I want to ask you this as we, as we bring our time to a close, man. And I could, we could do a 10 part series. This is so good, man. You have been so gracious with your time sure. today. I want to ask you this. You talked about the biggest thing that you overcame was, was forgiving your dad and, and restoring that relationship. What is the biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you could leave with our audience today? Um, I, I think I gave it away, uh, which was part of the empathy. I think, you know, the biggest encouragement I would give, there's a couple of levels here. A lot of what I've been thinking about lately is, you know, when you see someone else going through something, don't automatically judge them for what they're going through. Put a mindset that maybe they've been through something else. And I'll give you an example. I, I was on Facebook recently and 
somebody posted a picture of a lady who had purchased like 15 things of toilet paper, right? And yeah. so her basket's full of toilet paper. And the post was, this woman is hoarding toilet paper. How dare she? And all the comments were people just jumping on her. Yeah. And it really dawned on me that that might be the case. Maybe she was hoarding the toilet paper, you know, whatever. But what if she worked at a hospital? What if she worked at uh, a homeless shelter? What if she uh, had, you know, 10 elderly neighbors and she was buying them for them? Would that change your thought on her? Great point. I think it would. You wouldn't have posted that. Your judgment and you would have been like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Well, let's go with the, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know before we start judging and posting instead of after. Um, and that's where I think the best piece of advice right now, and that comes back to empathy, right? But it really is about taking out that judgmental spirit that so many of us have, including myself. I'm judgmental just like everybody else. Yep. And just like you, Brian. But we have to get to a point where we get away from that judgmental spirit and try to see the good in every single person and situation. Now, there are moments, and I used to have this actually with, with um, like a homeless person that would come up and ask me for money. My judgmental spirit would be to give them the money was giving them a one-way ticket to more drugs or more alcohol or something. And again, that might be the case, but I have changed my perspective on that completely in the last three years. And now I don't have any issues with giving them uh, money if they ask, if I have it. Um, but that's about having more empathy, you know, and I see that a lot, even for non-Christians, I see that buzzword a lot being used on social media in different places, but it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to practice it. And usually um, the cream rises to the top. And I hope that the, the more that rises to the top is, especially during these crazy times that we're in, in the middle of a pandemic, that empathy would always win out more than the judgmental spirit. Because Listen, we're seeing that completely now in our, in our government and how we view different sides on the politics area. We see it in sports. We see it in, uh, you know, even just like I said, Facebook posts and a picture of a woman buying all this toilet paper. It's easy to jump on her and say, why are you hoarding this? And yet, what if she isn't? What if she's actually doing something that's actually more meaningful and more powerful than you sitting behind your computer typing on Facebook? So I think my biggest encouragement would be to just just look and, and see where people are and try to look and see the good in every person and at least at the very least have empathy to say, maybe they're doing this for a different reason. And we would do the same thing if we were in their shoes. Man, so good. And, and what a great place to end this conversation, Jason. Um, tell folks where they can find your resources, tell folks how they can connect with you. I would highly encourage you to check out Jason's resources and, um, you will be encouraged. I tell you what, you, you post a lot of things on Twitter that, that are very encouraging and uplifting. And I appreciate that from somebody that's doing intentional encouragement. I appreciate that. Tell my audience how they can find you and, and connect up with you. Yeah. If you, if you simply type my name in Google, you will find me, but it's a, uh, my, my, my website, Jason Romano, Dot com is probably the best place like for the resources that you referred to as far as the book you know you can actually read the first chapter of live to forgive for free there uh, before buying it um, you know those books are available on my uh, website but they're available at Amazon as well and books a million and all the places you buy books 
uh, both the older book, Live to Forgive, and the new one coming out July 21st, um, The Uniform of Leadership. You can pre-order that now. That's available there. Uh, and then my social media, like you mentioned, Twitter. I'm probably on Twitter the most, but I am on Instagram a lot and certainly Facebook a little less. But, you know, these are, it's weird. During these times, I find myself on social media more. And I think it's not just because I'm addicted to it, uh, which I do think there's an element to that too. But I want to connect with people. And we can't go out and give hugs and, and gather with large groups right now. So this is the virtual best way that we can do that is through calls like this on Zoom or through going to Facebook and trying to connect that way. So you can find me on social media, pretty active right now, especially love to hear from you. Hey, I told Jason before we started, I have my ESPN pullover on today as we, as we air this. And uh, uh, I, I got to ask you real quick. So does Sports Spectrum have any merchandise? If people would, you know, talk about your current ministry, Sports Spectrum, because that's an important ministry as well. Folks in our audience can get involved with the ministry of Sports Spectrum as well. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, I should have said that. I, go to sportspectrum.com. That's the website to go to has a bunch of content there. You can order our magazine, which is a quarterly magazine. Uh, certainly subscribe to the podcast, which is what I uh, am really entrenched in and doing work every day on the podcast. And uh, we're also a radio show. So if you happen to be in Washington, D.C. area, uh, if, if you're listening to this, we are on uh, 100.7 FM WFAX in Washington, D.C. Uh, with our radio show at 9 a.m. and 3.30 p.m. Uh, so this, the radio show is actually the same as the podcast. It's just a shortened version, but it's a different audience. It brings the show to a different uh, range of listeners. And we're talking, at least talking right now, of expanding Sports Spectrum into a network. And I don't know what that looks like, whether it's a podcast network or if there's opportunities to do things uh, from a video perspective a little bit more. But the, the ministry is growing. And it's, you know, we, I was just telling you before we started, you know, our podcast listenership is up. You know, we have more subscriptions to magazines in the last couple of years than we've had, you know, in the last five years before that combined. Um, you know, our website traffic is, is high. And it's really because we've found that there are a ton of sports fans who love Jesus. Yep. And there isn't really a place for them to find content that can appease them. If you want to read about sports, you got to go to ESPN. If you want to read about faith, you got to go to Christianity.com or something like that. Well, we try to bring them together, and uh, this has been a ministry that's been around for a long time, but I think now in the past three years, we've been able to you know, bring it into the 21st century and allow for people to be, you know, reach, be reached where they're at, whether it's on their, web, on their phone, on their, on their desktop, on their um, device, whatever it is, on the web, and the old-fashioned way with a magazine, uh, but even with the podcast, you know, this, is, this has been something that I've really been uh, blessed to be a part of. And I love the work that I get to do. And as we say, we like to bring the name of Jesus back into the conversation of sports. And there are a ton, a ton of believers out there who play sports, who talk about sports, who coach sports that don't really have an outlet to talk about Jesus. Yep. And that's what we provide. Well, and, and right over my shoulder, I've got an, an autographed picture of Mike Krzyzewski. I have a picture that I took with Lou Holtz. So uh, I've got the Mike and Mike picture. Yeah, I'm a sports fan. I'm a Reds fan. I've been a, I've been a sports fan. But, Jason, and again, I, I said we were going to wrap this up, but, but you, you brought something to my attention here. You know, it's okay to be a sports fan 
and be a Christian. And those that are, that maybe are not Christians that are listening to this, you know, we're missing sports. You're missing sports. I'm missing sports. It's okay to have that balance in your life while you're social distancing though. Maybe it's a time that, that it's a good thing that we're unplugged from sports because it's an opportunity for us to reconnect with reading, read, live to forgive. It's an unbelievable book. You will enjoy it. Um, you know, reading, just reading, just meditating, thinking, you know, about, uh, about things instead of being so consumed with media and, and a lot of the media that we're getting is not good news, mm-hmm. but just, just taking this time to, to reflect. And maybe this is a good thing because it's, it's stopped a lot of us and we have to just say, okay, we're going to spend time with the people that we love the most and are, are, are around the most. And, um, even athletes, man, like you get to talk to with the sports spectrum, but you think we miss sports. How about the guys that play the games? They miss right, it. But dude. this is, this is a time they do miss it, but this is a time I think. And this is, you can kind of see this because shows are doing their best to keep sports in the range of being talked about. And there's some truth to that. However, I think it's forcing people you know, and all these shows are broadcasting from home now. It's forcing yep. people to say, I love sports, but sports can't be my life because it can be taken away from me like that. And then what? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what's taken place with me over the last month or so since this thing took away sports was, okay, I love sports. I miss it. I want to watch, you know, the Mets play with Sarah, like I yeah. said, but I don't need sports. And I was actually starting to deteriorate a little bit while I was at ESPN. I still love my teams. Trust me. I'm going to be there every single game that my team is playing when I can be. But if I can't watch a game or I miss a game or if they lose, eh, I get up the next day. I'm still, you know, I think people are appreciating life a lot more. They're seeing the fragility of life and they're seeing how quickly everything can be taken away. And this is, you know, there, it's a time of urgency for me as a, as, a, as a man, as a husband, as a dad, more than it is as a sports guy. Yeah. The urgency that I, that I have and feel in my heart is to tell others about Christ because that's the one thing that we all have in common is we're all going to die someday. That's right. And where are we going? And for me, that urgency, that burden, we're seeing a lot of deaths now. Yeah, uh, all at once. And we're trying to, and that, I think that is questioning. Everyone is questioning their mortality a little bit and saying, Oh wait, I thought I had control over something that I, I truly have zero control over. I better figure this thing out and get this thing right. And so my, my, my spirit has been burdened to tell others about Christ and eternity and salvation because that to me, I just harp on the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John yep. 14, 6. Like that's, that is a haunting verse from the words and the mouth of Jesus himself. You cannot get to heaven unless you come through me, Jesus. Yep. Well, and you trust in me. So that's and, where my burden's been. And, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of, of athletes – train their whole life you you saw guys come through ESPN you've gotten to know professional athletes this is what they've done all of their lives since they were small and realized that they had talent yep. greater talent than than most to be a professional athlete and now maybe they're even looking and saying I don't know when we're going to play I don't know what we're going to do 
in the next month or so. I don't know what we're going to do the next two months. And Jason, you hit on it a, a little bit ago in our conversation. It's, it's changing the thinking of thinking of, of what we worshiped to who we worship. Yeah. And, and, you know, we haven't had sports to just go, Oh my goodness. You know, the, the, you know, opening day in Cincinnati is a big thing for Reds fans. The NFL draft is coming up. That's a huge thing for NFL football fans. Well, guess what? A lot of these things have been Wimbledon just got postponed or just got canceled. It's a big thing for tennis fans. And we've had to flip the script from what we were, what we worship to who we worship, you know, instead of worshiping our idols. Yeah. Our, our sports idols, we, we, they're not a part of our daily lives now. So it's really forced that conversation to your point back to making Jesus and your eternity a critical part of every conversation internally and externally. Well, as believers, I mean, listen, if we're not living a life as believers to uh, push people to Christ, you know, uh, we're missing the whole thing. Like if all we're talking about is sports and all we're posting about is sports, even if we're big sports fans, who love Jesus, then we're missing it, you know? And um, that's really been something on my spirit for, for, you know, the last six months, really, but even more yeah. in the last, the last month or so. so. Man, oh man, this has been such good conversation. And, and I've, I've just kind of made an on the fly call. We're going to break this conversation into two parts so you can hear it because um, this is just great, great conversation. And I just want to encourage somebody listening today to get with Jason, get a hold of his resources while we're social distancing at the time we're recording this, hop on Amazon, get the book Live to Forgive and read it and, and just take in uh, what, what this good man has to say and, and go to Sports Spectrum, get his resources, download the podcast, it'll help you. Jason, man, you have been so incredibly gracious with your time. It's an honor to call you a friend. Thank you so much for hopping on the Intentional Encourager podcast today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.